In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Our reading today is from the ninth chapter of Romans. We've been in Romans for a little bit uh, over the last few Sundays. Uh, and in uh, chapters 9 through 11 of Romans, Paul is tackling what we might call the Jewish issue. In other words, how does Christianity and Judaism interface with one another? Now, in our world today, we might say, how can a Jew be a Christian? But actually, in the early few years of the church, the question would have been, how can a Gentile be a Christian? Because it was seen as an entirely Jewish movement. And it was only in uh, 15 to 20 years after the, the day of Pentecost, the beginning of the church, that this issue was solved to allow Gentiles to be included within the church. I won't tell you the whole story, but it's in Acts chapter 15 called the, the uh, Council of Jerusalem, where uh, through some supernatural acts, uh, the, the, uh, the 12 apostles saw that God was opening the doors for the Gentile people to come in. And that began to change the nature of the church. Now, following the uh, Council of Jerusalem, Paul, you know, he was very diehard uh, Jewish believer, very, very much a rabbi and disciple himself. And uh, he just really had problems with this early Christian movement, which was a Jewish movement. And he became, remember, a persecutor of the church until he had this radical transformation on the road to Damascus. Uh, to, to, uh, Damascus. And uh, so we, uh, we see him now being called by God to be the apostle to the Gentiles of all people. I mean, first he had trouble with the, the, uh, these Jewish Christians being part of it. Now he's the apostle to the whole Gentile world. And he's pre going from place to place in the known Gentile world and preaching about Jesus and about the kingdom of God and how one could come in, and especially to these Gentile persons. And was having, interestingly enough, a fantastic response from these Gentiles. However, within the Jewish community during these, these years, since Pentecost, there was kind of a disappointing level of response from Jewish people, of seeing Jesus as the Messiah and responding and being part of this kingdom movement. And so in these few verses, Paul is taking that up. Because what's begun to develop is the idea that since Gentiles are coming in and Jews seem not to be coming in, that, well, it must be that God has, um, has rejected his own people. He's dismissed them as his own people. And now the, the Gentile people are now replaced the Jewish people as God's favored ones, his special people, his chosen ones. And so Paul begins to address that in these three chapters. And he's clearly disappointed and upset and concerned about the lack of response among the uh, Jewish people of his time. He even says in our reading today, he says, I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart about this. He's really heard about it, but he goes on to make a case that concludes in chapter 11 with a couple of things that are very pointed and important for our discussion today. He says this, all Israel will be saved. No matter what the concerns are, all Israel will be saved. Why? Because he goes on to say, because God's gifts and God's call are irrevocable. In other words, when God does it and says it and makes a covenant, it's there forever. And so true in this. And 
so Paul brings great clarity to this Jewish issue about where did, where did Jews fit into this whole scenario. Unfortunately, over the centuries, in spite of Paul's great clarity about this, uh, the church has ignored uh, this particular perspective, and for much of those centuries of the Christian church, our history has been actually very hostile to Jewish people, which again doesn't match up at all with the case that Paul is making here. Where does this hostility and this missile nature come from? And we see it in all through uh, Christian history, and it's, I mean, it's some of our worst history uh, has, to be, has to do with our interaction with the Jewish people. I mean, some shameful things. Uh, you'll often maybe be in a conversation with somebody who's not a believer, and they'll bring up the Crusades. What about the Crusades? What about this loving Christian people? And what they did not only to the Muslims, but all these Jewish communities, all the way from, from Europe to the Holy Land and back, where they're decimating these, these Jewish communities and torturing and killing them. How do you reconcile that with a loving God? And that's a great question to ask. Other things that we've seen in the church, like a figure like Martin Luther, who studied the scriptures, and he got real excited when he was reading this stuff about, well, the, the Jews will certainly want to be part of this movement. He begins preaching and preaching and sees again, just like Paul did in the early church, that there was a resistance there. There was not quite the openness he expected. And he actually, actually turned uh, his, his perspective on this and actually began to write things that absolutely denounced the Jewish people. We know that uh, the, church, the church in Germany was uh, complicit and silent in the face of the, the German Nazi hatred of Jews and the Holocaust. Just remain silent and let it go on. We see things like Christian Europe, Europeans uh, expelling the Jews during uh, the early centuries of the, of the church. I mean, we can go on and on of these, there's a massive list of these. And they're really wrong, they're just not right. We, we look at that and say, how can that be? How can that be? But we come back to this Jewish problem. But it's not only a thing of yesterday, it's something that, that can be uh, of, of today and actually quite personal. I've had the good fortune over the years of my ministry to have as parishioners and other, and other friendships some Jewish Christian believers, people that were, were ethnically Jewish and had been raised in Judaism and somewhere along the line began to see that Jesus was in fact the Messiah and received the kingdom of God in that particular way, began to walk in it. I had one, one person, and she's a little bit older than me, but she grew up in New York City, and she, and she told me this story, and it just broke my heart when she told me this. The neighborhood that she grew up in in New York was a, uh, a Jewish community, but it was, she had to go in order to get to school through some Gentile areas. And uh, it was common, almost a daily experience, as she was walking to school and back to hear these kids, these Christian kids, yelling out to her, Christ killer, Christ killer. And here she was as a follower of Christ. And you can even still hear in her voice the hurt that that caused if ever we read the Christian story, this biblical story, the New Testament, and read it as though these Jewish people are the ones who executed Christ, we've missed the whole point. Let's be clear about this. 
at lower levels of consciousness development, we all are Christ killers. In this sense, that, that Christ is in each one of us, every single person on the planet, that Christ spirit is in each one of us. And our natural default position is to push that Christ spirit away, to submerge it, to ignore it, to kill it off in ourselves and in other people. So if we're really to be truthful, we all are Christ killers in our heart. So we need to put that whole argument aside. That is not a valid argument if we really understand uh, the human nature. Now, recently, a few weeks ago, I introduced in uh, my sermon uh, a, a understanding of these levels of consciousness development called spiral dynamics. And I described these various levels. And, uh, and, and uh, here's the interesting thing. In these first three levels that we looked at, which would be archaic and then a tribal level and then um, sort of a, a power gods level, we see that there's a very much a focus that's egocentric and ethnocentric where our allegiance is to our, our little band, first of all, and then to our tribe a little bit bigger than that. And that allegiance is such that we discount and hate anybody that's not in those particular groups. In fact, in those earlier stages, we don't even actually see anybody that's not in our group as actually being a human being. And so in that understanding, uh, you can kind of do whatever you want doesn't really matter. It's not an unethical thing in that particular view to harm or kill somebody that's not in the group because they're not really human beings to start with. Well, we understand from our perspective that, that that's not the way it is. But within that framework, with that limitation of those levels of development, that's exactly how folks in that realm would, would see it. So those are the first three levels. The fourth level, uh, which we call the blue level, which is the traditional level, is where law and order in society and civilization actually be, comes into being. That level of consciousness is, is, uh, is reached so we can have that civilization, law and order. But even still, even though the group's bigger, it's our nation or some group like that that we accept. Everybody else is at least suspect, certainly different than us. We've got our group, we prefer our group and, and prefer less any other groups. So we might actually be relatively silent if somebody's persecuting those other groups it's really not us. It doesn't affect us. Now here's the thing you want to understand looking at the biblical story, the New Testament story. In human history and development of human consciousness, in the time of Jesus, the highest level that people had reached in terms of any culture was that blue level, that fourth level, the law and order traditional level. That's the highest one. So it doesn't surprise us that this Christian movement, when it becomes Gentile, now sees the Jewish people as being outside otherly. Uh, and certainly if, if we see them in the lower levels, they're less than, less than human and therefore we can do what we like or at least be complicit, be silent about it. And so it becomes quite understandable why this particular thing developed in the Christian church's history. It doesn't excuse it at all, but it helps us understand and explain what is going on. And so what the next level of development after that is what's called the orange level. The fifth level, the orange level, um, 
is, is where we really kind of get into the first world-centric understanding. I'm not going to go into all of what orange is, but it really was birthed as a result uh, of the Enlightenment. Now, here's a thing to understand about why this whole system is so helpful for us in understanding our world, not just Christianity and the Jewish, the Christian story, but the whole world even today, is that until 300 years ago, cultures did not have the capacity to look at everybody in the world being in unity. So what we see is that the church was operating within its, its limitations and capacities, yet Jesus being more advanced and Paul being more advanced as individuals prophetically were able to see what would be. And so Paul can say they're all included. Everybody's in there. God's gift and call are irrevocable. And, and see it as a, as a unity. Of there. there's, there's no division between male and female, uh, Jew or Gentile. And so this is where we find ourselves moving into today, into a different capacity. So this begins in this view to make sense of what Paul says to us, all Israel will be saved. Now he says all Israel will be saved. That means those who accept him, accept Jesus, those who reject Jesus, those who are even hostile to Jesus and his kingdom. Why? Because Paul understood the Christ spirit was in everyone, including those Jewish people, including all the Gentile people, whether they've accepted walking in Christ or not. Now, there are fortunately many in the church who have developed into these higher levels and beyond even this orange uh, fifth level. They're world-centric and understand the, uh, the capacity and have the capacity to include all these divergent and different kinds of people, understanding the Christ spirit is in all of them. They're not subhuman, they are Christ-like. The Christ spirit is in them. And so we've, we've developed this, this particular understanding. We need to look at the story again and see what Paul, far more developed, is saying to us today. And he's saying this. He goes on to make a, a very clear case in, in these chapters, which you can't get into today. But he makes the case that Israel is our mother. Israel is our mother. We are birthed. Everything that we have and are is a result of what's been given to us is a spiritual heritage that we get from the Jewish people. He goes on in our reading today, he says, what we have from them is the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, the promises, the patriarchs, and from them, he says, comes the Messiah who is over all. Over all. He is over all. Paul and Jesus set a bar that understandably was beyond the capacity of the people of his day to embrace. But they set a bar that we 2,000 years later, can read that 
and understand and be inspired to understand our heritage, that Israel is our mother. And in that capacity, it begins to change how we interact. How do we deal with Jewish people, whether they've accepted or rejected or even hostile? For those of us who follow Christ and have the Spirit of Christ in us, it is time to honor our mother who has given us so much, to honor Christ in her, to love all people by beginning to love that Christ Spirit that is already in them, and to love that Christ in others so that it comes out into the open. How? Jesus said it really clearly. To the degree that you show mercy to even the least of these, you have done it to me. The Christ Spirit is in them, in us, and in us all. Bringing us into unity with the Lord Christ, who is over all. Amen.